0: Welcome to the Team Baptist Church podcast. Please note that all or some of this podcast may have been recorded during our live physical services at Team Baptist Church. Therefore, sound quality may be affected in some areas. We hope you enjoy the podcast. We know that Wonder Woman is a comic book character turned into a movie. But were there Wonder Woman in the Bible? We're going to read about two of them this morning. So, Judges chapter 4, verse 1, it says, After Ehud died, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth Haggayim. Because he had 900 iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abaniln, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishan river and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Very well then, Deborah said, I will go with you. But because of the way you are going about this, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. Okay. We go down a little bit further to see what happens. Chapter 4, verse 21. Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and hammer and went quietly to him, being Sisera, while he lay asleep and exhausted. She drove the tent peg through his temple into the ground and he died. Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera and Jael and went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with a tent peg through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, the Canaanite king, before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, the Canaanite king, until they destroyed him. Jump over to chapter 5. We're going to read just verse 6 and 7 there. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, The roads were abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. Village life in Israel ceased. Ceased until I, Deborah, arose. Arose a mother in Israel. So we see over here, Deborah says, in the days of this guy, it was pretty a bad time to be in Israel. Village life ceased. People were running and hiding until the day that I, Deborah, a mother arose. So she said, the oppression on our country because of these oppressors, the Canaanites, it was bad. Nobody did anything until I arose. Who was it arose? A mother. A mother did a great thing. So we're going to read about the Wonder Woman, which we have, and we're going to talk about them today. The two Wonder Women are... Deborah and Joel. Now, when we get this theme, you know the lady Wonder Woman? Just made a movie, 1984, that was the second chapter of her. Now, Wonder Woman, the comic book, tells the story of Princess Diana of Themyscira. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, it's a very funny word, they've put the letters in the wrong order, it seems to me. Her original story says she was formed out of clay by her mother, Hippolyta. And then the Greek gods took the clay and gave life to the clay, making her the only Amazon not conceived by a man. She grows up free of men on the Paradise Island where the Amazons teach her warrior skills as well as lessons of love and peace. The gods also gift her with powers that include strength, wisdom, courage. Listen to this, a hunter's heart. Beauty, sisterhood, speed, and light, and flight, sorry, the ability to fly. She made her debut in the comic books in 1942. So that's when she came onto the scene. She was then blended into society in the books, and uh, she sometimes adopted a civilian identity, which, which was Diana Prince. So she worked, I think, as kind of a nurse in the background. She possesses an arsenal, a lot of weapons, of magical items, including the lasso of truth. Wouldn't you like one of those? You're lying to me. Tell me the truth. That's very useful, I think. A pair of indestructible bracelets, a tiara. Okay, that's the thing that she wears over there which serves as a projectile, and in all the stories, a lot of other devices based on Amazon technology. Now, it's not the website Amazon. This is like the land of Amazon. So, what is significant about her? Well, she broke the mold of women in comics. Until then, the stereotype of women in comics was... (laughs) The damsel in distress, <laughs> Superman come and save me, Ooh. he's like, I'm here You save you. And then Wonder Woman came on the scene, and the men were like, Wonder Woman, save us. And she said, I'm here, I'm come to save you. She changed that stereotype, so she showed that women have superpowers too, and of course Supergirl came along, and all the others. Who are some of the others? Brush up on your knowledge. Who? Th- mm-hmm. Sorry? Black Widow? Black widow. Catwoman? Catwoman. Mm-hmm. Who else? Storm? Remember the woman of the eyes? Halle Berry? Storm? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Sorry? Some of you are making others out there. I don't recognize them. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm just not hearing too good. Alright, so she broke that stereotype. And guess what? When you read the scripture, it also breaks the stereotype of what we feel women are capable of, where their place is, and what they can do in the story as we look to it. Now, you know that every heroine, and the heroines we're going to read about are Deborah and Jael, they need a cause. There needs to be a difficult situation that they can come and rescue people. So their cause was Israel's sin and the oppression. Israel fell into sin. As a result, God allowed the Canaanites to come and gain victory over them. But the Canaanites had this bulldog ruler. So the king of the Canaanites, their coalition was Jabin. His bulldog, the general, was Sisera. So he was a general, but a more of a warlord. A very nasty piece of work. He didn't just go and rule over them. He oppressed them. So the time was very difficult. You read in Judges 4 verses 1 to 3 and Judges 5 verse 6. That he had 900 chariots. Now a chariot to a foot soldier was a very fearsome weapon. Because a lot of those chariots, they had those little blades on the wheels, and if you're a foot soldier and they get those chariots running and the horses gather momentum, you're not going to stop them very easily. They are literally going to come against the ranks of the foot soldiers. They will literally tear through them. And of course, the Canaanites at that time were also on a mission to de-weaponize, if there's a word such as de-weaponize. There isn't, there is now. Okay, they took a lot of the weapons away. So, not only did the Canaanites have superior weapons, but the Israelites had fewer and fewer. So, they couldn't really fight back. Now, Sisera wasn't content just to rule over them, he wanted to oppress them. So, life was like this is that village life in Israel all but ceased. People didn't live in villages, open villages anymore. They didn't have their own farms with their donkeys and their cattle and the geese and the chickens and the lambs and the goats and all those other things. Because as soon as the Canaanites saw that, they would just come and plunder the village, burn it to the ground. They were determined to annihilate the Israelites. So the Bible says that they took to winding poles. Now what does that mean? It means that they couldn't go on the normal roads or the highways anymore. They had to sneak around, side paths, so they wouldn't get caught. Because from time to time, the Canaanites would send guards, would send platoons out to scout the land. And if they found any Israelites moving around, they would capture them, kill them, destroy them. So they literally ran up into the hills or fortified towns, and life over there was really oppressive. So that was the cause that they needed a hero. Now they needed a hero to throw off the yoke. And of course, a big problem was Sisera and his strong army. Now, what were they going to do about that? So God says, I'm going to give the men to stand up, a chance to stand up and lead. So God, through the prophetess Deborah, says to Barak, God says to you, Take 10,000 men and go and fight against Sisera because I'm going to give him into your hands. What does Barak said? No ways. If you don't go with me, I ain't going. He's basically saying, Deborah, you don't hold my hand, I'm not going on the battlefield. So Deborah eventually says, come Barak, I'll hold your hand. Let's go and fight the enemy. And off they go. But the Malan themselves wouldn't do anything. It took Deborah to get onto the field with them to cause them to have a change of heart. So now they go to battle. And how does this battle play out? Well, the Israelites start up in the hills. Because, of course, that's where they were hiding. They didn't want to come down to the plain. Because that's like level ground. And on the plains, who's going to have an advantage? That's the domain the kingdom of the chariots. I mean, they need that level surface, get momentum, and that's it. You're not really going to conquer them there. Eventually, the Israelites figure out, listen, we got to go down to them. we got to do this by faith. So they say, let's go down into the valley, the flat surface, even though it seems like the wrong thing to do. It seems like we're going to go down. And we're just going to be steamrolled by these chariots. But it was an act of faith because God said, I'm going to give this army into your hands. Sisera hears about it and he says, these Israelites have been hiding for such a long time. They've got no clue how to conduct war. I mean, they are literally coming and walking in the path of my chariots. I mean, what could be easier? Let's just get to them. So the Israelites feel the chariot thunder, the horses, hundreds of them, 900 chariots. If there was two horses per chariot, do the maths. There was 1,800, four legs to a horse, do the maths. (laughs) A whole lot of hooves beating down and rolling. So the ground was shaking. It sounded like thunder. And then they felt, well, they were actually East Thunder. Because God sent a storm. There was legitimate real thunder. Then God started to bring his weapons against the weapons of Sisera. And God started to rain down rain. And he started to rain down hail. He rained down rain and he hailed down hail. <laughs> the river... Beside the plain, he also sent down a flood. So there was a deluge of water. And of course, that just caused those chariots to become useless. They got bogged down in the rain. That water turned to mud very quickly. It's right on the riverbank. And they were destroyed. The Israelites were all geared for that battle, they were on foot. God gave them the victory. They killed every one of the soldiers. There's only one person that got away. And he was the most important. And that was the bulldog, Cicero. We need to get him. If he gets away, he's just going to get an army together again. Cicero runs to one of his allies. Um, and he reckons these people are kind of not our enemies. I'll be safe there. He comes t- across jail. It's a woman. She then brings him in and says, Come my Lord, come and rest. He says, I'm pretty thirsty, give me water to drink, please. She says, water for you? No, let me give you milk. And then he lay down. And while he was fast asleep, okay, when the tone of the snoring got to that level, you know they're asleep. Anybody know that? You know when your husband or your wife, when they're drifting, is very gentle. And when it gets deep and thunderous, like the thunder, then you know, sleep. So she took a tent peg, which is basically like a long nail, thick. She took a hammer, she put it on his temple. Yes, she did. (laughs) Once hit and it went right through. And that was the end of the bulldog. Why are you all the bulldogs dead? Do you know how many people he was responsible for killing? How many women lost their husbands to this man? How many sons were killed because of him? Don't feel pity for Cicero. He wouldn't feel pity for you if you were an Israelite. So that's exactly how the battle turned out. And God gave them the victory. It was an act of faith. So when you see how God used these women... Did I go past their titles? I think I did. Deborah, her name means the bee, or bee actually. Are we gonna call her for the sake of the superhero theme? The bee. Is it scary? <laughs> Come on, oh, the bee. Now let's make a movie. You're be like bee. Come on. Be like the the lion. No, let it be the bee. You act brave now. Let's let a bee loose here, let a bee come to you. I guess nobody would be standing This it's just a bee. Somebody in the back row on this side would not be around if a bee had come into this place. Just saying, Jael, her name means mountain goat. Okay, you're like, it's not very flattering. It's just what a name means, okay? So a mountain goat, nobody really wants to be called a goat. <laughs> or in fact, any type of herd animal like cow, no one wants to be called those things. But calling her a goat was actually a bit of flattery. When you think of goats, we normally think of these little things running around, but a mountain goat was quite a big animal. And had these long, big, how many of you call them horns, antlers? They're very big. You wouldn't want to get into a fight with a mountain goat. Even these little goats, when they get an attitude and they go for you, I mean, they feel nothing here. You'll feel a lot over here, and they'll go for you. Now, imagine upscaling it from there till here, male, testosterone, big horns. You will run for that thing. All right. So calling her the mountain goat is a fit title. And we're scared of Ant-Man. You say Ant-Man. Quite sound like a superhero name. Can you come up with something better? Well, we came up with the bee. Okay. Nobody runs from an ant, but we run from bees. So these were the superheroes that God was going to use, and he used them decisively. Now, what can we learn from them? Wonder Woman. Is there any Wonder Woman here? Right? You're from the tribe of Amazon? Are you amazing? You're like, just pretend, okay, that you are. So we're speaking to the Wonder Woman today, and well, there are five things that we can learn from the bee and from the mountain goat, from Deborah and from Jael. The first thing is Wonder Woman. Your place is not only in the home besides your husband. Your place is wherever God wants to put you. Your purpose is any purpose God has for you in your life. You see, Deborah, when you look at her life, there were five places that you see her at, five things that she's involved in. The first two are stereotypical of women. We say, well, that's a woman's place. The first one was, besides her husband in the home, she was a wife. So she was married. We understand that. Nothing wrong with being a wife. I'm so glad God created wives. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to be a husband. Who would I marry? That would leave me with a very big dilemma. Secondly, her place was beside the pots and the brooms in the home. Okay, she was a mother, she took care of her home. Do we need moms? Yes, do they need to know how to cook? Yes, it's not all, but it's very important. If the woman didn't cook, what would the men eat? Well, whatever they made, and what would men make? Baked beans on toast, wonderful. Had that many times. Two-minute noodles. Eggs of all variety, boiled, scrambled, fried, whatever. That's basically, and bry. don't forget bry. We can take it to the next level, take it outside, we can bry. But that's about it. Vegetables, I don't know what that is. That's what men would say. So we're very grateful for the moms that make homes. But when we look on, we see that her place was in the presence of God. God confided in her. In actual fact, she was a prophetess. Now, nobody becomes just because they want to be a prophetess. God has to call you. The mere fact that God called her was an endorsement on her life. If God says, I'm calling you to be a prophet, that shows you what he thinks of women. Doesn't matter what you and I think of women. It matters what God thinks of women. Amen? So, she was in the council of God, God chose her to confide in, and speak his um, wisdom in, and she would be the person to speak on behalf of God. Then we see she also sat as a judge in Israel. Now, judge was kind of a political ruler, military ruler, everything all rolled up in one. In actual fact, she did so well, she had a region, a spot that was called the palms of Deborah. There were palms growing there, she sat there, and all of Israel came to her for decision-making. Hey, I need some advice about marriage. Deborah, what do you think? Cool, should I start this business? Cool, Deborah, have I committed the unpardonable sin? Deborah, tell my brother to settle. All these different things. So Deborah was there as God's representative, as a judge. Now that's a pretty important position. Right? Taking decisions for the nation. Then we see Deborah is also on the battlefield, and she's leading the army. She's holding Barak's hand. So what does that tell us? Woman, your place is not only in the home. Your place is not on the arm of your husband, because you're not a fashion accessory. Amen? Amen. But why is it that some women think they're fashion accessories? Because all they're into is my nails, my hair, my dress. You would think that some women think that they are fashion accessories. Because when you look at them, all that they're taking pictures of is their hair, their makeup, their nails. It's like, is that going to be the sum of your ambitions? To look pretty for Instagram photos? Or your life is that the subtotal of your ambition? There's only so much times you're gonna be able to dress up those nails and pretty that face, and then you're gonna lose it, and then you will have accomplished nothing in your life. Go and get an education, go and get a job, go and do something of significance, go and make a difference. Stop taking a back seat. Deborah didn't, and Jael didn't, and neither do you, unless you're going to play the stereotype that men are leaders in society, and women are just the supporters. You can be a leader in your own right, you don't have to lead men, you can lead women. You can lead wherever leadership is needed. But you have to get this idea out of your head that what makes me feminine is makeup. What makes me feminine is pretty nails and wigs and dyed hair and all these other shallow thing, shallow things that keep women in the stereotypes that they are trying to get out of. So don't let your role model be somebody who only takes pretty pictures of themselves. Let your role model be women who may on the outside not be too attractive, but they're women of substance. Things can be said of them. They carry themselves with dignity. They have a brain and they use it. They make a difference in society. Secondly, Wonder Woman, It is God who upscales for us our ideas of womanhood. It is God who upscales our idea of womanhood. If we were to keep our ideas of womanhood according to the stereotype, we would say a woman's place is where? In the home. A woman's place is in the home to be a wife and to be a mother. A man's place is in society. When man comes home, there should be a nice meal. Roughly three course. Rice, place otterbils. That's my wife always says. She grew up. That's the three course. Rice, place otterbils. Rice, starch, meat, and then more starch. Okay? Not very good if you're on a low-carb diet. You just ruined it over there. But who cares? It is a satisfying, manly meal. So God said, I'm taking womanhood to the next level. Be great in the home. Be great in your marriage, but I'm going to take you into my council. You're going to be a spiritual leader for my people. I'm going to take you into society and you in politics are going to lead. In actual fact, I'm going to take you onto the battlefield and you will even lead the men there. The stereotype that you live out is the stereotype that you've adopted in life. Perhaps your mother told you this. Perhaps your father told you this. Perhaps you come from a church that believes certain parts of the Bible better than other parts, not the whole counsel of God. But certainly at least what we can see over here is God's idea of womanhood. And maybe we need to do something to let our idea of womanhood agree with God's idea. The third thing, Wonder Woman, is that you and I, suppose not you and I, because I'm not a woman, but mainly you. But it sounds wrong if I say you. It's like I'm accusing, but I don't mean to. All right? Wonder woman, stop waiting for men or society to give you permission to join the battle. To give you an invitation to join the battle. You go and fight. You go and lead by faith. Because a lot of women are looking for men to validate them. So you saying I'm not a woman until I get married. Really? What if you never get married? You got yourself into a pretty pickle over there. So, what if I'm married and that validates me and then I get divorced or my husband dies? Do I become less of a woman? No. You understand? Because many women are saying, ah, oh, finally got married. You see, somebody loves me. And some cultures are like that. You always be treated like a child until you get until you get married. You're not a man until you get married. You're not a woman until you're married. Listen, that's culture. God is above culture. Your culture will keep you backwards if you and I don't change. So, whether you get a guy or not, have ambition in life. When you have ambition in life, you get a good guy. Honestly, if you just want to be a pop all your life, just doll yourself up. Who is going to marry you one day? Somebody looking for a pop? Popole. (laughs) If that is what you attract to yourself, you really want a man of substance? Be a woman of substance. Be a woman before you get married. Accomplish something in your life before you become a wife. Then you will find a man of substance is attracted to a woman of substance. And whether you attract a man or not, you're a person of substance in your own right, Good God gives you that ability. Too many women feel, now that my husband left me, what's going to become of my life? I don't have much of an education. Because I planned to marry a good guy who would take care of me, and I did not bother getting any education. A man cannot be your backup plan. You be your first plan, and you be your backup plan. Because when a man leaves, the woman is like, fuck no! If your man left you, make him want to come back to you. Don't take him back. Just make him want to come back. Accomplish something with your life. It says, ooh, that was a mistake. So, that was a mistake. But you're not going to make him want to come back to you because you look pretty <laughs> and you take photos. And he's like, you're. No, go to accomplish something with your life. Raise your son, raise your daughter, raise yourself. Be an instrument of change, be a person of dignity in society. Number four, Wonder Woman, when opportunities come, seize them. Jael saw the opportunity coming, the opportunity got tired, the opportunity was given milk, the opportunity fell asleep, and then she killed the opportunity, which was actually technically the opportunity. You understand? Now, if I could go back in time, I would want to go back just for a few months, that place in time. Because in that society, it was the woman's job to take the tent down and to put it up. Men did other things. So when it comes to handling tent pegs and hammers, this woman was used to that. And she, was she used to it. It only took one shot and she killed him. So I asked the previous congregation, you, you heard of One Punch guy? Is that the name? One-punch guy, whoever he, one-punch man, sorry, I'm getting it wrong. Whoever he comes against, one-punch, and that's, that's why it's called one-punch guy, all right? So this is like one-knock woman. It just took one knock to put the ten peg. It's pretty gruesome. I know it's PG-18, R in America, all right? Now, you may think it's pretty bad, and he was coming to her for hospitality, and she killed him. It's not a very good thing in that society, but you have to look at it in context. Jael knew what this man, Sisera, was doing in Israel. If you look at chapter 5, verse 30 and 31, it says that when the Canaanites ruled over the Israelites and when they attacked them, they divided the spoils among them. Part of the spoils was the woman, So they would kill the men and just take the woman, rape the woman or just make them their concubines, their slaves, and take them home. So a lot of women were oppressed because of that. Many men were killed. And it wasn't though they needed to be that way. It was that Sisera took the issue from conquering them to oppressing them. There's one thing when your enemy defeats you in battle, but when your enemy oppresses you, that's a vindictive, malicious, vicious person. And so she did the world a favour when she killed him. But she realised that that was her opportunity. If she was going to shrink think back, if she was going to worry what her husband was going to say about the mess, the mess that she made in their household, if she was going to think about this is not my place, and she would never have accomplished that feat, which really was the final blow to the Canaanite oppression. When you see an opportunity, you need to seize it, because it's going to pass you by. If you're wondering and you question yourself, you're not doubting yourself necessarily, you're also doubting God. She acted in faith. You need to act in faith to do things. How does faith act? Faith is action in the absence of... Of information. Faith is action you take in the absence of information. Because most people will say, God I'm willing to do this, but are there any more details? Can you tell me when it's gonna happen, how, you, how it's gonna happen? When Deborah went to Barak and said, listen, God says to you, take 10,000 men and go to the battlefield. Barak wanted more information. Deborah just said, I know he has chariots, I know we probably on paper, we're going to be mowed down, but God still says go. How does God require you and I to live and to respond to Him on a need-to-know basis? On need And most of the time, God says, you don't need to know. That's the problem with acting in faith. You have to do things, even though you want God to give you a little bit of information that can make you confident about the action that you're supposed to take by faith we should require information do you understand that's how both of these women were going to work now this is the strange thing if you were a woman and you needed to send your son to university and you were married you and your husband would sit down with a family budget, work things out and figure yes we can or no we can't isn't that Now take your husband out of the picture. Maybe the man left you. Maybe, through change of circumstance, he passed away. Maybe, unfortunately, you never got married. Now you want to send your son to university. How do you do it? You say, God, I want to send my son to university. God, I want the best university. You see, with a man in your life... You may have actually set your standards quite low, not because of the man is low, but you wouldn't require faith. You can do this in the flesh. But now you have to do things by faith, and you realize I'm only going to rely on God, but I'm not going to ask God small requests. I'm going to stretch my faith. And you're probably going to ask God to intervene in a big way. To send your son or daughter to a big university and pay all the expenses. Now you're Faith in your prayer rises up a notch because you're required to do it in dependence upon God. If you have to do things by faith, it can be very scary. But there's something about faith that causes you to believe for a better life and for more and for greater accomplishments than when you sit and you figure things out on paper. You can pray for God's provision, and there's nothing wrong with praying God for God's provision. And he will be a provider. But when you pray by faith, you pray for miracles, and God becomes a miracle worker. He becomes the mighty God. Do you know when you read in Isaiah 9, verse 6, mighty God? What it literally means there is miracle worker. Hence, mighty God. So I want to say, seize the opportunities that come your way. Don't ask God. Can you explain a little bit more? God, I'm not sure. You don't need that. You step out by faith. You've always had it in your heart to start a business, to start a ministry. You want to shepherd all the children in your school. You don't think that you've been appointed by God. Just go and do it. Go step out by faith. Whatever your crisis is, becomes the opportunity that you must seize. Does God need to explain to you that it's really a bad situation. Can you not just open your eyes and notice that people need you? And if you notice that people need you, the person that opened your eyes is God. So you need to seize what you see. Lastly, we see Wonder Woman. Heroes have a cause. A desperate situation causes a hero to come to the rescue. They always had it in them, but there was no problem. And it's those problems in life that cause the best of humanity to come to the fore. Those heroes, ordinary people, to become heroes. You see, people are not just heroes because they like the costumes. Because one day a movie is going to be made about them. That's not their motivation for becoming a superhero. Their motivation is when they see people in need. And they say, somebody's got to do something about it. And then God says, yes, you're right. You got to do something about it. Deborah said that to Barak. Barak wouldn't do it, but God says we're going to do it anyway. Deborah, if you need to go onto that battlefield with Him, just get the work done. How many teachers here, you see people coming into your classrooms? They're a totally unruly bunch. They don't know what it means to have respect for an adult. They don't even know how to say please and thank you. They're like little animals that come. You think you're a zookeeper. So like, I wanted to be an educator now they put me in the zoo. That's okay. Tame those animals. You've got hordes and hordes and animals. You say, God, I don't know how you're going to do this, but I know you can do it. I want every child to know that they're loved. That there's a God who looks out for them. I want every child to know that their past is no indication of the promise of the future. I want every child to know everybody gets a second and a third chance. Everybody gets a chance to rewrite their future. They can't write their history. Somebody already wrote that. But they're going to write in this class under my supervision and your anointing. They are going to rewrite their future. And I'm not going to be a zookeeper. I'm not even going to be an educator. I'm going to be a woman of God. I'm going to be a pastor, a shepherd of my sheep. I'm going to make a difference. And for the rest of my life, and if I've got five years of teaching left, and I've got 10 years or 20 years of teaching left, I've got 20 years of 20 generations that are going to pass through my class, and I'm going to make that difference. But I am going to be a force of change in society. You may be in a work environment where it's riddled with corruption, and you say, well, I'm not going to be part of the corruption, but this is too big a mess for me. You just let your light shine and you speak out against it in a diplomatic way and with the wisdom God gives you. But you say, I want to clean up my work environment. I want to be soft, disinfecting this rot that is happening. I want it to stop here and hopefully it can get healthy here and that health can spread. And if they need to take me on and it feels like I'm going to war against this corruption, that's fine. Deborah got onto the battlefield, but the battle not, didn't overcome her. She overcame the enemy. And if your enemy is corruption and the corrupt people, you will overcome them too. You may come from a background and you, you don't have these grand visions for yourself as a mom. All you want to say is, I just want to raise my son to be a godly man. I want my my daughters to be godly women. If you can accomplish that, you won't see your influence in your time. And what you see is very small. But you tell your children, I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for your children, my grandchildren. And I'm doing it for their children's children, my great-grandchildren. I'm doing it for the generations to come. So a lot is riding on you, my boy or my girl, no pressure, but a lot of pressure, Um, (laughs) but that's your legacy. The reality is you may have made choices in life, and your options to make a difference between today and the time you die is limited, but it's not zero, and if you can invest in people, particularly your sons and your daughters, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, That is a tremendous investment that you're giving not only to them, but to society and the society of the future, the churches of the future. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast, remember to share it with people you feel may be encouraged by it as well. Also remember, for more resources, to watch our video sermons, or to find out more about Ramsey Baptist Church, visit us online at www.rbethchurch.org.